Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Eileen. Hi, everybody. My name is Eileen. I'm a very grateful compulsive overeater. Hi, And thank you, Latus, and thank you, Walter, for asking me. Happy birthday, Mickey. Happy birthday, Janet. And congratulations to Chip people. And welcome to the newcomers, especially. Um, you know, my gratitude for this meeting, for this meeting and for, for this program is profound. And I don't think I could ever really express it in words. It's, this program has changed my life. And, okay, so what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, so I've been an Overeaters Anonymous uh, about 11 and a half years. I just celebrated eight years of abstinence. Um, so I came to a meeting of OA about over 20 years ago, and I heard the word God, and I was like, I'm out of there because I'm not looking for God. And um, it ended up that that's exactly what I was looking for, but I just wasn't ready until I was ready, you know. The word turned me off. So if the word turns you off, you do not have to believe in God to be an Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't. And I did not used to talk about God, and I call my higher power God, but now I do. And my relationship with my higher power is getting deeper and deeper. Um, the last year has been so for me as well. Um, so when I came here, and I was listening to a CD the other day, and this guy was talking about, you know, I didn't come here because I couldn't wait to get to Overeaters Anonymous. I came here because nothing else worked. You know, nothing else worked for me. I tried it all. Um, you know, I did all the diets. Um, I'm sure, well, there's, I'm sure a few I didn't do, but, you know, they're just waiting for me. Um, but I did, tried all the control I possibly could to figure this thing out. And I just thought if I just had the right combination of food or did the right thing and, you know, and the stars, you know, and the heavens opened up, I could get it. I just kept thinking I could get it. And I never got it. I could never do it. And I didn't understand what compulsive overeating was. I really, when I came into this program, I heard the, the word, a compulsive overeater. I had no idea what that was. Before I came in here, I just knew that I'd pig out on food. I couldn't stop binging. And then I would have, like it talks about in the big book, I would have periods of control. I would stop. And I, you know, for me, I've been maybe 20 pounds more than I am now. So, that's a curse and a blessing because for me, looking relatively normalish convinced me that it really wasn't so bad. But the insanity about the food and the obsession, either obsessing about having it or not having it, was going on with me whether I was overeating or momentarily not. And, um, you know, the obsession of the mind was, was there. It was always there. Obsessing about my body, you know. And when I look at pictures of myself as a teenager, when I thought I was fat, I was, I just had a normal body size, you know, maybe a few pounds here or there. So, so the obsession of the mind had started very early. I don't know when my, um, when my disease started, but I do remember as a young kid, you know, I was always in the kitchen eating the, ex- the cookies, the extra cookies. I used to go to parties when I was a teenager. I was in this youth group and we had parties every weekend over the summer and I was always sitting next to the M&Ms and once I started, I couldn't stop, period. And I always felt fat. I wasn't fat when I looked back, but I always felt fat. So my obsession of my body, the obsession of the mind, was going on for me, but I didn't understand. I didn't know what it was. Um, food was a way for me to cope with life, you know. And 
you know, we all had stories. My family, there was a lot of tension in my family as a kid. And I felt it. I'm, I'm sensitive like we all are. It says it in the literature. And so the way that I learned to cope with a lot of tension was to just eat. I just ate and I could just zone out and not feel what was going on. And, you know, anxiety was a huge reason why I, you know, continued to compulsively overeat. And now when I'm anxious, you know, stuff still comes up for me in my mind, but there's things I just don't do no matter what. Um, My abstinence is three meals a day and two snacks. Um, I don't have any foods on my abstinence currently, Um, but I've been talking to my sponsor about this and... uh, there are many foods I don't eat no matter what. So she said to me, well, how come you don't have those on your abstinence? And, you know, I don't really have a really good reason for that. So I'm in the process of taking a look at it. Um, there are specific foods I do not eat no matter what. Um, I don't know if I need to talk about specific foods. I don't need to. But, but you know, I have a food plan. It took me a while. I did the uh, workshop, the ABCs of abstinence, which hugely helped me distinguish between, abst- between abstinence and a food plan because for the first you know, three or four years in program, I didn't really understand the difference. It was kind of the same for me. Um, what I was taught is my abstinence has to be black and white. Every single day i got to know, am I, am I abstinent? But sometimes my food, I don't eat perfectly. But I eat three meals a day no matter what. The snacks are optional. I never skip a meal because if I only have two meals, I'm not abstinent. I don't eat two meals. I don't eat four meals. My, sta- my snacks are not a meal. My snacks are very specific. I, I eat just a couple of different foods for snacks. Um, so I need to know every day if I'm abstinent or not. So what it used to be like after that. Um, so, you know, um, let's see. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's the same as all of you. You know, I binge. I used to eat a dozen donuts, uh, you know, half a gallon of ice cream, and that, you know, that pretty much put me, you know, even and okay. And for today, I don't have to do that. And I didn't know that I could live like that. The, the program of Overeaters Anonymous shows me that I can live without having to do that. I don't have to pick up a food. And I was reading something in the big book. It's the, new, the fourth edition. Um, somebody quoted it the other night in a meeting. And it's on page 450 uh, in the fourth edition of the big book. And it talks about that he says sobriety. So sobriety slash abstinence has to come first no matter what. It has to be that no matter what goes on in my life, if I'm having a good day, if I'm having a crappy day, that I can stay abstinent no matter what. But I can't do that by myself, you know, because, and I came in here, back to what it used to be like, you know, I came in here very self-sufficient. I can do it all myself. I, I can't ask for any help. I don't trust anybody, and I can do it all myself. Thank you very much. And, you know, uh, for whatever reasons, that's what my beliefs were. And, um, you know, I've learned here that I'm not self-sufficient. You know, self-sufficiency is what could have killed me because not being willing to ask for help kept me in isolation. I was a big-time isolator. Uh, Out in the world, I'm very functional. I have my own business. I show up. I do what i got to do. You know, we're all smart. And I kept thinking back to that thing about figuring it out. You know, I kept thinking I could figure it out. But smart, all that has nothing to do with it. This disease is more powerful than my brain, you know. And thank God I know that now, which I forget, by the way, on a regular basis. That's why I have to keep coming to meetings, you know. If I remembered everything, I'd only have to go to, like, what, 12 or 15 meetings, read the big book once, you know, and that'd be it. Um, But I don't remember everything. Um, So... um, so about uh, 11 and a half years ago, I had been engaged to be married. I was living in Santa Barbara. We broke up, and I came back to Los Angeles, and I was that was my bottom. I was devastated. I felt very alone. 
Um, I was binging like a maniac. I, I went to some meetings in Santa Barbara. The program wasn't strong. We're very fortunate in Los Angeles. We have so many meetings. Um, I came back, and I was just devastated. And uh, I became willing. You know, I was eating, binging. I couldn't handle my feelings. I didn't know what to do with them. Um, hello, you know. I, I heard this guy once quite a few years ago. Uh, he said, this is how I operated. Had a feeling, had a snack. You know, and it made me laugh too, but that's how I operated, you know. As soon as the feeling started to come up, whoop, what can I eat, you know. So I was pretty devastated, and that, and I became willing to come to OA, and I haven't left ever since. And thank God. And, you know, I, my sponsor really talks about, you know, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'd like to say to you that I can't even imagine a circumstance under which I would decide, okay, I'm not coming to OA anymore. But you never know. I I'm, I don't want to be cocky. You know, I, I I can be cocky. I can think, oh yeah, I got this down. But as soon as I get like that, and as soon as I get into the, I've got it down, I'm in trouble. Um, before I came tonight, I said to my husband, you know, I was coming to this meeting, and he said, ooh, that's kind of neat. And I said, you know what? And I'm listening to Chuck C. talking in a new pair of glasses. I have some CDs of him speaking, and it's kind of amazing. And he talks about, you know, it's not I. It's not I. It's, as soon as I think it's I'm doing this, then I could not do it, you know. It is my higher power. Um, so what happened? So I was devastated. And when I was devastated, I became willing to come to this program. I didn't want to do it anymore by myself. Um, one story I like to tell that brought me, you know, I, I don't think I was, re- uh, let's see, when was that? This was before. This is how I lived. I remember I was 28 years old. I lived in an apartment um, on Beverly Glen, and I would isolate on weekends. You know, I was out working during the week and looking like I'm all out there and all that, and on weekends I just isolated. And there was a guy who lived in the apartment building right next to me, and they were quite close, and you could hear everything that was going on. We all had hardwood floors. And every Friday every Friday and Saturday night, he would have parties, and that was when that song, Whip It, was out, you know? I guess it was, well, that was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, they would play that song over and over, and they were all dancing, and I could hear them bouncing around on the hardwood floors. And I was sitting in my house, miserable, with like a bathrobe and slippers on at 28. That's not the way I should have been living at the age of 28. And on occasion, I went over there and complained about the noise, you know, about the music. I mean, if that isn't humiliating, thank you, what is? But that's how I lived. That's how I lived, outside of my house, being pissed at everybody else who was having a good time because I was so miserable. And I was eating, you know. Um, So that's how I lived before. Um, And there's lots and lots of stories about that. So... I moved back here, I was devastated, and I became willing. And I got a sponsor um, pretty quickly into program. I, I'm on my, well, I don't know how many sponsors I've had. Um, I have a real, I've had two really spectacular sponsors, a couple of really good ones, and some ones that didn't work. And, you know, what I've learned is that's okay. Nobody's bad or wrong. It's just some, you know, there's no accounting for chemistry. It's like relationships. Some relationships work, some don't. Um, so my first abstinence, because I'm not on my first abstinence, um, as you can hear from my time, my first abstinence was no binging. And that was what I did for three and a half years. I didn't binge. And a person who ended up becoming my sponsor but wasn't at the time would occasionally come up to anybody at a meeting. She would might have come up to one of you guys, and she would say, Hi, how you doing? How's your abstinence? And, uh, you know, you if you wanted to be honest with her, you would tell her. And uh, one time she asked me, what's your abstinence? And I said, it's no binging. 
And she said to me, is that specific enough for you? And of course I wanted to smack her because that was as specific as I wanted to be for my first abstinence. And I didn't binge for three and a half years. And then I was in New York City and I was there for about five, five days and, you know, the, the food is just there in your face. And I was happily thinking how great it was that I was not eating it. And, you know, the day before I left, I, could, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore and I did and I lost my abstinence. So I came back. And uh, uh, I had a sponsor who let me go at the same time. She didn't have the time. And so the same person who used to ask me, you know, is that specific enough for you? I saw her at a meeting, and she said, how are you doing? And, and uh, I said, well, I lost, my, I lost my abstinence. And I don't know what my abstinence. She said, well, what's your abstinence now? I said, I don't know what it is. And she said to me, well, let's figure it out right now. And, you know, that was so profound for me that she wanted to take the time to help me because... My, one of my big issues in life is nobody has time for me. Nobody has time. Nobody really cares. Nobody really wants to. And I kept myself at quite a distance as well. So when she said to me, let's figure it out right here, I was so touched. And I was like, okay. And uh, it was after Serenity Sunday, by the way, a really great meeting in Los Angeles. Um, so she said, well, I do, my abstinence is three meals a day and two snacks. And I don't know where it came from for me, but I was like, I said, okay. And that was my higher power. And, and I've had that abstinence for eight years and, you know, a month or something, not quite a month. And that abstinence changed my life. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, when I first came in, the best I could do was no binging. And, but for me, you know, no binging, I could pick up a thing and say, well, this isn't binging. I might be able to pick up two things and say, well, that's not binging. But it's a very fine line between, is this binging? Is this a little bit too big of a meal? It's, it's a little iffy. But that's what I did for three years because that's all I could do. But when I committed to three meals a day and two snacks, that meant I couldn't pick up food anytime I wanted. And by the way, she said to me, I do three meals a day and two snacks. One snack between lunch and dinner because it's a long time, and one snack between dinner and bed because it's a long time. And she taught me the purpose of a snack is to tide me over between meals. You know, a snack isn't a meal. And I've been specific for the whole eight years. I just eat fruit and or yogurt as a snack. Um, the most I fudge is dried fruit. That's me fudging. <laughs> and I played with that a lot. Let me tell you, I'm powerless over, for a while I was powerless over dried pineapple. Um, you know, go figure, you know. Used to be a half a gallon of ice cream. That's progress, but, you know, I'm still a compulsive overeater. Um, so I started my abstinence with her on February 25th, um, so I guess 2001. And uh, it's been it's been an amazing ride because... I don't get to pick up food anytime I want anymore. And what did that do? It forced me to work this program. It forced me to go to lots of meetings. The first, um, the first year and a half or so of this abstinence, uh, I went to seven to nine meetings a week. You know, that was my life. I had no life. I had, I had my business and I had Overeaters Anonymous. That was my life. And you know what? I'm really grateful that that was my life because she taught me to, to go to lots of meetings and build a foundation. And that foundation of being willing to do whatever it took is why I, you know, I get to keep building on that, why I, I'm abstinent today, why I know that those things work. I just kept doing it. She would say to me things like, just stay abstinent no matter what and you will be amazed. And I, you know, the first time or the first 30 times she said that to me, I thought, oh, yeah, sure, you don't know me. I don't get to have anything. I thought that. 
but I, but I did it anyway. I don't know why I did it anyway. I didn't believe anybody. But this, but I, I want to talk about sponsorship because I think sponsorship is so profound. Um, and by the way, she was my fourth sponsor. And the three, the three people before her, my first sponsor was great. She helped me. The second person was great. The three before her helped me. But somehow my relationship with her and, cha- and, and doing this abstinence was profound for me. And I called her every single day, not Monday through Thursday, not Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I called her every single day. And, and we didn't have a specific time at that time, but our schedules happened to be such that I could, it was, I called her late in the afternoon, and most of the time I talked to her. And when I didn't talk to her, she always called me back. And that in and of itself was so incredibly healing for me. I, I used to cry a lot. I used to cry a lot about that. And I let this person see me, and I worked all the steps with her. And I, I have this thing that I call the thing. And I kept thinking when I would want, need to share something with her, that it was going to be the thing that caused her to say, oh, that's, that's, that's it, I have to leave. I can't take it anymore. I, you're too much. And you know what? She never did. So she moved to Mexico, but that wasn't about me. Um, you know, but I'm still in contact with her. Um, and uh, I called her every single day. And we only talked for 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes or so. I would see her at meetings. Occasionally we'd have a meal together. Um, but it was the consistency. And, you know, what I learned and what I got taught as a sponsor is not my best friend. She's not my mother. She's not my therapist. We don't hang out and socialize. A sponsor is somebody who guides me through the steps, somebody who's ahead of me in the program who has what I want. And she has had and continues to have what I want. And I would see her do things like um, walk over to a newcomer at a meeting who was sitting there by themselves that nobody was paying attention to and extend her hand and just go over and say, hi, my name's Daryl, you know, welcome, are you new? And I thought, you know what, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's, that's who I want to be. And uh, she was she was like a, a model, like a mother figure for me. But she wasn't my mother. But you know what, stuff comes up. It, it, you know, we say, if you want to know why you ate, you know, stop eating. And, you know, she really modeled some very beautiful things for me. And uh, and they were things I never got in my life. And, uh, and it's not lost on me. That will never be lost on me. What I got out of my relationship with her will never leave my heart. And uh, she's just an incredibly special person. So I'm a big proponent of sponsorship. And I was honest with her. I learned, I have to be honest. I have, bottom line, I have to be honest about my food. It, it doesn't matter if I don't want to tell my sponsor or not, you know what, I had too much dried pineapple yesterday. Or, you know, whether it's too much or I had some and it talked to me, the rest, you know, and I want to have it again today. For me, what I've learned is I have to be honest about my food because that's how I get better in this program. If I'm hiding it and it's a secret, forget it, you know. Um, I have another amazing sponsor today. And in between them, I just want to say that I probably had ten sponsors in between them. And it was really, really hard to find somebody who worked for me because I had such an amazing sponsor. And uh, and the miracle is that I found one. Um, and I'll tell you how I found her because this is a good higher power story, the one that I have now. Um, I had heard this woman share at two meetings over a couple of years. And I wrote her phone number down twice because I loved her program. She just has a really strong understanding of compulsive overeating, the big book. I love all that. I'm a huge, I, I'm in love with the big book. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I happen to love the third edition because that's the one I was brought up on. I'm still <laughs> learning to love the fourth edition. Um, 
So I heard her share at two meetings, and I always wrote her phone number down, but I never called her. And uh, about two and a half years ago, I saw her at a meeting. I live in the Valley now. And she was taking a candle for 20 years for her birthday. And when she took a candle, she was speaking, and uh, she was crying. And she was crying about the fact that she had just broken up a relationship, and she was in a lot of pain. So here, here's an example of my experience with my higher power, and I want to talk about that for a minute. Oh. <laughs> um, so I have this voice that says, I, as soon as I saw her there, a voice said to me, ask her. And I'm saying, I can't ask her. She's in pain. She's crying. I can't ask for something for me. Ask her. So that went back and forth and back and forth. So finally after the meeting, I went up to her and I told her the story. <laughs> and I said, you know, are you available to sponsor? And she said, here's my number. Why don't you call me later and let's talk about it. And you know what? It's been amazing since then. She's just the most amazing sponsor. I adore her. I respect her. I appreciate her. She teaches me things. Thank you. Uh, I just have grown hugely with her. And that's because I didn't listen to myself that said, no, I can't do that. That's me. The other was my higher power. And in a new pair of glasses, Chuck says, people say, well, how do you know that that's your higher power and it worked? And he goes, because I've never had it so good. So it worked for me. That's how I know it was my higher power. That's how I know. It worked really great. So it was my higher power. Um, let's see. I, I want to... So I'll just talk for another couple minutes, and I want to open it for questions, but we don't have a lot of time. Um, so this program has given me freedom from compulsive overeating. Do I ever eat too big a meal? Yes, I do. I have to confess to you, I do. But there are certain things I do not do no matter what. And it's because of my relationship with my higher power, because of all of you who taught me things that I didn't even know I didn't know that I needed to learn, you know, about life about what it means to be a compulsive overeater and addict, the kinds of behaviors that, you know, don't work for me. Um, so, um, five, five and a half, almost five and a half years ago, I got married. It is totally as a result of being in this program and being abstinent. There's no way I would have gotten married, and there's no way I could have stayed married mm-hmm. if it wasn't for working the steps and being in this program. It's, it's a miracle. And um, I want to say one other thing. I heard someone at a meeting the other day say that her sponsor said to her, the reason that the program isn't working for her is because she doesn't have a higher power. And I really wanted to say this today. And, you know, if someone would have said to me, you, it's not working because you don't have a higher power, I wouldn't have even understood what they, what they meant. For me, what I have learned here is I have a higher power in this program as a direct result of working the steps. It says in the 12 steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, then we carry this message to others. So I have a higher power because I worked the steps. I didn't, I don't have a higher power because I thought it was a good idea and I conjured up this voice to talk to me. I have a higher power because I have worked the steps, and I'm available to my higher power. And it says in the second step, in the 12 and 12, it says something like, I had to admit that this program shows results, prodigious results. So it it promises us, there's promises all over the big book, if I do this, I'm going to have a spiritual awakening. It's inevitable. So if you just work the steps, it's going to happen, you know. So anyway, I feel very strongly about that. So I think I have a couple more minutes, and so I should open this up for questions. Anybody have a question? Oh, come in. Oh, oh, I have seven minutes. Okay. I'll open it up to questions. And Yes. Thank you so much for your share. Mm-hmm. What do you do on a daily basis to connect with your higher power? Uh, sure. Do you want me to repeat it in here? Yeah. Okay. The question is, what do I do on a daily basis to connect with my higher power? Um, I do a lot of stuff in the morning. I get up 
early and do a lot of stuff. I read four meditation books. I, first thing I do, it's not the first thing I do. I do not fall out of bed onto my knees and pray. I get up and go get a cup of coffee first. <laughs> and, um, and then with all my stuff in it, and uh, then I come into a little studio area where I have all my books. Then I get on my knees and I say the first three steps, <coughs> and I say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. And my sponsor taught me a personal way to say the first step. I say, I always say good morning, God, and then I say I acknowledge that I'm a compulsive overeater and, and powerless over food. So that's what I do. Um, so I read, then I read these four meditation books. Um, I usually do a gratitude list right now. I've done different things over the years. Um, I pray for a couple of people. Um, I Sometimes I do writing, except for my, you know, in addition to the gratitude list. Um, sometimes I read stuff in the big book. I don't do that every day. Um, what else do I do? I take a lot of calls. You know, I take calls from sponsees. I call my sponsor every single day. Um, I'll probably think of something later that I do that I forgot, but... That's all I can remember at the moment. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Thanks so much for your share. Um, I didn't really hear you mention anything about bulimia or anorexia. Do you have experience with that? And, or do you see that as being like an outside issue here? Oh, um, the question is, I didn't mention anything about bulimia or anorexia. And I don't have any experience with bulimia or anorexia, but I do not see it as an outside issue. That's definitely part of Overeaters Anonymous. Overeaters Anonymous is about all eating disorders. So, no, I think it's absolutely okay to talk about that in this program. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, about bulimia, if I would have, I tried it once. I remember. I had, I had eaten so much at a meal that I was so incredibly uncomfortable that I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to throw up, and I couldn't do it. The truth is, if I could have, and I would have known that people did that, I totally would have done that. It, it's, a, it's a gift from God that I didn't for some reason. So thank you for asking. Yeah. Hi, Corinne. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how to word this question, so if you bear with me. Uh, do you have any experience or suggestions on, you know, like if you're spending a whole day with a group of people who aren't compulsive eaters to just eat whenever they mm-hmm. want, and you really want to be a service and not make it about you, but yet for you, you feel like if you don't eat three meals at kind of regular intervals, you get a little crazy. That's a great question. Absolutely. The question is how do I, basically, how do I deal with when I'm with normal people and I have to eat my three meals a day and how do I take care of myself without making it all about me? Right. Okay. Yes, I have a lot of experience with that. Um, sometimes I do it way better than other times. In fact, recently we were with a bunch of friends and it was, I was like pulling everybody and they're like, all right, Eileen has to go eat. Come on. You know. <laughs> um, so there's different things that I do. Um, I bring things with me. I, I, it, if it's an all-day thing, um, you know, I, I will say pretty much now, I don't really care who doesn't like it. i got to go eat right now. You know, I will say I've got to go eat. And if anybody wants to come with me, that's fine. Otherwise, I'll meet you back. You know, I also bring stuff with me depending on what it is. Um, if I'm going to a party, there's all different kinds of situations with this. Let's say I'm going to a party. Depending depending on what time it is, if it's later, I don't like to eat late. I'll just eat my dinner first and show up. And if they have, fruit, you know, bring fruit with me or sometimes I'll I would talk bring some stuff with you. So I might bring a fruit salad and then I can have that as a snack later. Um, what else? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much learned that it's okay for me to say I've got to go eat a meal right now because normal people can go for twelve hours and forget to eat. I cannot go for twelve hours and forget to eat. I can't even show up as a decent person if I don't eat my meals, you know. And is it uncomfortable sometimes? And do I feel like I'm sort of making it about like, um, you know, Eileen and let's take care of Eileen? I don't really need them to take care of me. It's totally fine if they keep doing what they're doing. I've even said to my husband before, you know. If, if he, and he's even said to me, you know, if they don't have what you need, we'll just go out and get something. So I, I just, I don't have to apologize for it. And what I've also learned is I don't have to make a big deal about it. Because most of the time I'm all worried about, like, what are they going to think of me? But most people, they're not even thinking about that. So if I say I'll be right back, they're like, okay. You know, and then they go on with their lives. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes we think that they're all noticing our food because we're noticing their food. <laughs> right? We can talk more about that. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a challenge, I think. But uh, I think it's really important and to take care of myself. And, and, you know, not making it about me, but I have to take care of myself so that I can be present for other people. And, yes, I speak up about, yeah, let's go to that restaurant. And, you know, sometimes everybody doesn't want to. I manage to find an abstinent meal if we're out with people, or I manage to bring something that I can eat and share with others. Yes? I mean, thank you so much for being an example. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience with letting go of your character defects? Was it a process for you? Like, willing to let go and having them in your I have no experience with that. <laughs> the question is, can I talk about my experience with letting go of character defects? Um, <laughs> um, what I can say is, you know, it's funny, I've talked to my sponsor about this a lot, and we work with this. I remember one time she said to me, do you think that you're, you know, you're getting rid of the character defects? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's not my job. Um, that's God's job. And what I can say is, uh, you know, I'm not sure I have any that are totally removed, <laughs> but what I can say is, you know, they're way better. Some of them are better. Some of them aren't. You know, um, my 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 character defect of expectations comes up a lot, and it really bites me in the butt. You know, we say expectations are planned disappointments, and um, so that's really been a problem for me. I'm learning not to have as many expectations, and it's given me a lot of serenity to not have so many. Is it totally gone? No. It's totally not gone. My character defect of, of self-righteousness, that's a really good one for me. That's probably my number one favorite one. Um, you know, um, sometimes, and I, sometimes I can catch myself or my higher power catches me, and I could say, oh, yeah, please take that out away. And my, once I get conscious and I can ask for help with it, then I notice that I don't have to be uh, at the effect of it and constantly be run by it. But sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. You know, sometimes it's not till afterwards. But but it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. And one of the reasons it's getting better is because I don't like the way I feel about myself when I'm acting in those ways, you know. But I'm also human, and I take them back sometimes. So is that it? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.